0: Hello there. Happy post-Thanksgiving, I hope the leftovers are gone week. And welcome to episode number 327 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books. Today I'm talking with Scarlett Cole. At RWA in Denver this past summer, Scarlett Cole gave a workshop about self-belief and productivity – She believes that one can't proceed without the other. And in her former life, she was a senior executive for a multi-billion dollar company. So she knows a little bit about this topic. Since it is near the end of the year when many resolutions are being made, I wanted to talk to her about her workshop and the real foundation of honesty that is required in order to create productivity and time management skills for yourself. Among the things we discuss, we talk about the similarities between women in executive leadership positions and women running author careers. You are probably not surprised to know there are many. We talk about the benefits and realities of goal setting, the difference between a hobby and a passion, and why the latter is much more self-supportive, the value of a mentor, and the power of asking for information about your own goals, the importance of being happy and content with what you are able to do each day, and the benefit of audacious goals and beliefs. Most importantly, we talk about the idea that self-belief is different from motivation and that selfish is not a bad word. We also discuss believing in yourself, giving yourself permission to be successful. That became the title of this episode. Productivity is itself a form of affirmation, and I hope that this discussion is as interesting and inspiring for you as it is for me. I also want to give a very special thanks to my dogs for interrupting our conversation with a ferocious alert. When the UPS truck arrives, I apologize in advance. Now, I do want to know, more barking right now? Great. I do want to know, Zeb apparently does too, what goals are you setting for the new year? What do you want to accomplish? I really want to know. I'm nosy, or if like me, you're from Pittsburgh, I'm really nebby. So if you'd like to tell me about it, I would love to hear. You can email me at sbjpodcast at gmail.com, or you can call and leave a message at 201-371-3272. You can just tell me your goal. I mean, you can also tell me not to talk about it if I do a future episode about goal setting. Um, This is one of my favorite topics. But if you'd like to tell me what your goal, what your idea for the accomplishments you want to make for 2019 are, I would love to hear them. So, you know, think about getting in touch. sbjpodcast at gmail.com. This week's podcast and transcript are brought to you by Catherine Bybee's Chasing Shadows, available now from Montlake Romance. New York Times best-selling romance writer and last week's podcast guest, Catherine Bybee, has reached nearly six million readers with her smart and seductive contemporary romances. Now she's back again with Chasing Shadows, the third entry in her wildly popular First Wives series. Avery Grant Doesn't Date Her first marriage was a mutually beneficial contract that gave her the financial freedom she needed to step away from her controlling parents. Wealthy and single, the last thing she's looking for is love sneaking in to mess up her life plans. After a brutal attack in New York City that nearly kills her, she's determined to never be vulnerable again, even if the new man in her life helps her feel safe. She throws herself into learning self-defense both physically and emotionally. Mesmerized from the moment he sets eyes on Avery, Liam is driven to learn everything about this tough, sexy, challenging woman. Breaking down her defenses won't be easy, but Liam refuses to be pushed away. All he needs is a tiny crack in Avery's armor to wiggle his way into her heart. But when a terrifying lie about her attacker's fate comes to light, Avery's past returns to haunt her. Now she's willing to put herself in danger to get the answers she needs. But that means jeopardizing the best thing that's ever happened to her. Liam. Harlequin Junkie calls Chasing Shadows Catherine Bybee at her best. Readers who want their romance peppered with a mix of thrilling suspense, a bad boy hero, and a whole lot of female empowerment will love Chasing Shadows by Catherine Bybee, available now for Motley Romance. We have a podcast, Patreon. I'm sure you've heard me talk about it, but I'm going to do it again right now. If you have supported the show with a monthly pledge, thank you, thank you, thank you. You are helping me keep the show going. You help me transcribe every episode, and you're making sure that each episode is accessible to everyone, which is very important to me and many people on the internet and off. Thank you. If you would like to join the Patreon community, Have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. For $1 a month, you can make a monthly pledge and be part of the group that helps develop questions for upcoming interviews and suggest guests for the show as well. I also want to thank some of the Patreon folks personally. So to Sarah, Alice, and Jenny, thank you so much for being part of the podcast community. Are there other ways you can support this show? Yes, there are, and I bet you know what they are. Leave a review, however you listen or wherever you listen. Tell a friend, subscribe, whatever works for you. But If you are hanging out with me in your eardrums right now, thank you very, very much. I know how many podcasts there are to choose from. I am trying to choose ones to listen to every week, and I am deeply, deeply honored that you are hanging out with me, so thank you. Our music is provided by Sassy Outwater. I will have information at the end of the show as to who this is and where you can find this for your very own. I bet you know what this is. It's my favorite album for this time of year. And at the end of the episode, I will have a preview of what is coming up next week at Smart Bitches. I will have a terrible joke, which I know many of you look forward to the terrible jokes because you are good and noble people and I appreciate you. And of course, I will have links to all of the things that we talk about and many books that we mention in this episode. I love talking about productivity and how to improve the way you do the things you want to do. So I hope you enjoy this episode as well. And again, if you want to tell me about your goals for 2019, I would love to hear about them because I'm sitting here figuring out my own. But now let's do this interview on with the podcast.
1: Hi, my name is Scarlett Cole. I currently live in Manchester, England, and I am an author of
0: Contemporary Romance and Romantic Suspense. Fabulous. And you also gave a very cool workshop at RWA this year about a subject that you and I talk a lot about, um, which is maximizing your productivity with a lot of self-honesty.
1: Yeah, I think the two things go hand in hand, uh, productivity and self-belief. And really, I believe that you can't have one without the other.
0: So what was the sort of basis of your of your workshop? Is this a workshop you've given before? Um. In my previous life, I was a senior executive at a $45
1: billion company in Canada, and I used to give a lot of presentations, especially to women in leadership positions. And so uh, this was a presentation. It's the first time I've given it to um, uh, an author community, uh, but it is based on a presentation I used to give a lot to working professionals.
0: Have you noticed that there's any similarities between the women leaders that you would speak to in your old profession and then speaking to authors? there's a lot of similarities, to be honest. I think um, there are
1: different types of author and different types of business professional. You know, you have the um, very assertive and determined individuals who absolutely fully intend to progress up the organization. And if you parlay that into writing terms, you know, there are a lot of very career committed authors who uh, really do want to, you know, they have different goals. Maybe they want to hit um, a bestseller list. Maybe they want to put out a certain number of books a year. Maybe they want to get a certain pin at RWA. Um, and then I think you have, um, uh, you know, journey professionals, people who are quite happy in the role that they're in at work. Um, They just want to be really good managers or really good data analysts. Uh, They don't really have aspirations to progress aggressively up any kind of uh, structure, Um, but they want to do really good, solid work. And I think there are some authors who fall into that category too. They're quite happy to put out a book every one to two years. They're passion projects for them. Um, And and that's the way they want to manage their career. So I think there's a lot of similarities in the way uh, working professionals and authors view the different ways
0: they can progress their careers. That's really interesting. I like that you call it a passion project because I think a lot of the time uh, women, especially in embarking on a creative project, are often sort of dismissed as like a hobby or you know, something fun and silly that women do. Whereas as a passion project, it is just as valid if you do it once or twice a year or work on it for quite a long time. And it's just as valid if you also focus on that as being your primary career and your primary goal.
1: Absolutely. And I think we're, um, as a society, we're very quick to pass judgment um, on creative pursuit, as uh, something that is hobbyist, uh, rather than something that can be a career either full-time or part-time. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of, um, you know, you see posts occasionally of, you know, well, I'm a professional and I write 5,000 words today. Um, I don't think it makes you any less of a professional if you only write 150 between the hours of five and 6am, cause that's the only time you've got available in your day. Um, so I think, um, you know, we should move away from hobbyist type language, make sure we're yes. very focused on them being our passions and our passion for creativity and our outlet for that. Um, and then, you know, go at your own pace.
0: I, I really like that. I think that it can be very demeaning and, and self-defeatist to compare yourself to somebody who can write thousands and thousands of words at a clip. Um, and and it, it can really mess up your belief in, your, in yourself well, it can if you rely on it too heavily, but I think there's also value
1: if if increasing the number of words you want to do, uh, you know, if that is something that is important to you, reaching out to those people who achieve it for mentorship. So I think, again, you know, the two ends of the spectrum, you know, whether you're doing 150 or you're doing 5,000, um, you're still doing great work. I'm I'm very fortunate. One of my mentors is Catherine Levesque. Uh, and Catherine Levesque is a historical romance writer, who I've known her to write 15,000 words in a day. And I was stuck at about 2,000 words a day. And I I reached out to her and I said, hey, what's the special sauce? What's the secret? How do you, <laughs> you know, how do you do this? And, you know, she was able to give me some you know, really tactical, tangible things that I could do differently to increase the number of words that I get to do in a day. So if increasing your word count is something you are passionate about and something you want to do, it's it's perfectly cool to go after um, information and insight as to how to achieve it. It's also perfectly okay to be happy and comfortable
0: writing 150 words a day. It sounds like self-belief and accepting your own ambition are also related. Do you agree?
1: Oh, absolutely. The, the presentation you referred to um, uh, that I spoke at uh, RWA this year, I th- one of my beliefs is that you have to give yourself permission to be successful. Um, I think um, as uh, individuals and especially as women, Um, we can almost be afraid of success. You know, what happens if we do make it big? What happens if this book really is successful? You know, how does my life as I currently know it change if I get that? And I think, you know, we talk about this productivity and self-belief. I think productivity suffers
0: when we hold ourselves back from that edge of greatness. I love the idea of giving yourself permission to be successful. It's also very culturally interesting um, just looking at the way and the and the the language that writers use about their own success, um, it's very rare to hear writers, especially in romance, talk openly about their specific ambitions in front of a large group of people that they don't know that talking about your ambition is something that happens almost in a very intimate setting. And it is okay to be ambitious. it is okay to have goals to be successful and to give yourself permission to try to reach a goal that's, you know, Really big. That's totally normal.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we have this um, almost false modesty when it comes to talking yes. about these things. And yeah. I'm, a, I'm a great believer that we are our thoughts. And so, if you're constantly telling yourself, you know, well, I'm I'm never going to be as good as at person X, um, then the chances are you're not. Because if you are your thoughts, you you know, the universe wants to uh, um, co-create with us. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we're you're never gonna be as great as that person. And, you know, there's we're almost embarrassed when we say, you know, I would love to be the next Keeland. That would be that would be my thing. If I could, you know, I would like to be the next Keeland. You know, there'll be a whole bunch of people who'd look at me and go, Well, you're never gonna be Vi Keeland. Maybe not. I wanna be my version of being that successful. But it's okay to aspire to be um like a successful individual it's it's okay to set goals that sound audacious it, you know you need to give yourself permission to say within the next two years i will be a usa today bestselling author um, because then you're putting that out in the universe so the universe can work with you to make that happen
0: and if you do that's awesome and if you don't you haven't lost anything you have still built an effort
1: yeah, well, th- there's a saying, isn't there? I'm going to completely butcher it because I can't think of it at the t- off the top of my head, but it's something like if you shoot for the moon, you might miss and only hit the stars, right? Or something like that. Oh, uh, well, but it's still a it, good place to be. <laughs> yeah, it's still a great place to be. And so if you can set these goals and then consistently work towards them, um, you know, even if you don't hit them by the end of whatever time frame you give yourself, you're a
0: whole lot further on than you would have been if you'd not set those goals at all. Very true. So when you say that productivity and self-belief are two sides of the same coin, how do you enter your, your workshop with that premise? Well, I think that the first
1: thing um, it's important to understand is self-belief is different from motivation. Um, I, I think a lot Ooh. of people um, you know, mix the two together, but you know, self-belief or self-confidence is a judgment in your own capabilities for achieving a goal. Uh, And so, you know, this self belief comes from do I believe I am actually capable of achieving this thing I want to do? Motivation is something different. That's either an internal or external factor that causes you to want to do something. Um, So, you know, I want to walk 10,000 steps a day um, because it's good for my mental health. Um, I also believe I am capable of of achieving good mental health as long as I have a plan and I stick to it. So those two things are different. Um, And so I always start there that, you know, I think a lot of people talk about productivity and motivation. I try to talk about productivity and and self-belief. And so For me, the big turning point was um, many, many, many years ago, I read a book called Take Time for Your Life by Cheryl Richardson. I was actually sat sat in Kalamazoo Airport. I was stuck in a snowstorm. And I've got to be honest, being English, I thought Kalamazoo was going to be way more interesting Really turned out to be um, because, you know, I'd, I'd heard the song and I was like, I'm in Kalamazoo, this is really exciting. And then it, nope. you know, it wasn't quite as exciting as I thought it was going to be, especially not in you know, the And so um, Cheryl Richardson in this book, and um, she talks about, you know, make three pie charts. This is one of the first exercises she does in the book. The first one is, you know, very quickly, without too much thought, draw a pie chart of how you think you spend your time. And you can, you know, put the big buckets of time in there, work, time with family, um, sleep. Um, And it's over the course of two weeks, I think she recommended. Then the second one was uh, spend two weeks tracking your time and see where you actually spend it. And then the third one was draw a pie chart of how you'd like to spend your time. And the exercise at the end was to look at how you currently spend your time and how you want to spend your time. And what are the things that hold you back from doing that? Mm-hmm. And as I worked through that exercise, I started to see that, you know, I placed a huge amount of value on work. You know, it's, I, you know, my ego came from work because that's where I got, you know, reinforcement that I was good at my job and all those kinds of things. Um, I wanted to be a successful professional, so I was very driven, but other areas in my life were lacking. and um, You know, I had these beliefs that were holding me back. So, you know, if I had time available, I should actually spend it on work because work is important. Work is what pays the bills, et cetera, et cetera. And I hadn't really thought about, and this is the first premise of Cheryl's uh, talk: is your time is yours to give away. And I remember reading this line: "My time is mine to give away." And I had it all backwards. I felt like, you know, the company that I worked for was taking my time away. And I really hadn't sat down and thought, whoa, hang on a second. I own my time. I own my time at work. I own my time at home. Um, I, it, it's mine to give away. And, and so, you know, that was a, a big belief shift for me that this was my time and I owned it and I had to be accountable for how I spent it. And so, you know, that was kind of how I teed up the presentation, which is, you know, the self-belief is not the same as motivation. Looking at how you actually spend your time versus how you think you spend your time, and then determining how you want to spend your time, will lead you to address the self beliefs that have been holding you back from doing what you want to do all along.
0: I definitely, right now in my life, am very, very attentive to not only my own time, but my own energy. I think there's not only an expectation that women um, give all of our time away, but that we are an Inexhaustible source of energy that we will always be able to keep going. That our job is to keep giving and giving and giving. This is why I hate The Giving Tree by Shell Silverstein, by <laughs> the way. I hate that book. I hate that book about the fish that has that special scales and has to give herself away. Oh, I hate that one too. But anyway, um, my rant on children's books will be another time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are many. But the idea that I am this inexhaustible source of energy, no, my energy has a finite amount. And even though I am not working uh, with the within a chronic illness or chronic exhaustion, the idea of visualizing your energy as a tangible thing that you are giving away, um, whether it is a spoon or a token or as uh, Sarah Knight calls it, a fuck in your fuck budget, um, you, you you have a finite amount of it and you have to be aware of how you're spending it and how you're giving it away because the message for so many women is... To never stop giving it away and never stop spending it and putting yourself last. Absolutely. Um, in Cheryl Richardson's
1: book, she talked about this notion of fuel tanks. We have all these yes. types of fuel tanks in our body. You know, we have an emotional fuel tank. We have a, a love fuel tank. We have a nutrition fuel tank. We have all of these different fuel tanks in our body, and we have things that feed them, and we have things that drain them. And it's really important um, in our lives to figure out you know, of all the things we do, which feeds and which drains. And that could be draining friendships. It could be yes. draining work environments. It could be, um, you know, personal habits that are draining. You know, when we get into loops and habits in our, our own lives and our, our own behaviors, uh, which could be harmful to us. So for me, I know that if I stop working out, I become a real cranky pants. And so that's harmful to me. It's draining to me when I don't make time to do that. Yes. I think the other thing that um, uh, Cheryl Richardson also said, and it's funny how a lot of this is coming back to Cheryl's book, is extreme self-care is the equivalent of putting your own emergency mask on first on an airplane. Yes. And so, um, you know, it is time to be selfish. You want to put your own um, your own mask on first because you will be more help to other people when you have your own, you know, oxygen mask on, you can help all of your children and your family and passengers nearby with theirs. But yes. you know, the time it takes you to put one mask on your child, you then are no use to anybody. And so I think that's um, the same when it comes to, you know, productivity, right? Your dreams are important. Um, and if, if you allow other people um Uh, to drain your energy away from you so you have nothing left to put into your dreams and the things that are important to you, Um, Mm -hmm. that fuel tank is going to run on empty. And you'll start to notice that in other parts of your lives. Absolutely true. Not least because you start to resent the things that are sucking your fuel tanks
0: dry. Oh, yes, absolutely. So how do do you advocate for better productivity and time management when you examine that your time is yours to give away? How does that move into productivity?
1: So I think uh, when you start with your time is yours to give away, uh, you enable yourself to look at the things you do over the course of, you know, a day, a week, a month, a year, Mm -hmm. and identify which things align with what you believe to be important. Now there's a certain pragmatism to this, right? You know, we're yeah. all, um, well, some of us are lucky and don't have to, but most of us have to earn a living. So there's going to have to be a certain element of pragmatism that if your dreams are really to go travel and your time is yours to give away, we'd all love to be, you know, an around the world ticket. But the reality is we've probably got to have a day job, which means that, you know, eight hours of the day, we're, we're going to be at work. Um, so I think you know you you start with a list of the things that are important to you, the goals that you want to achieve. you look at the time you have available and you look at what you're currently doing with it, and mm-hmm. then you look at those things that you're currently doing and you identify which of those things are working for you i e which of those things currently do align with the dreams that you have,
2: mm-hmm. which
1: of those are just pragmatic realities so Yes, you might want to be a full-time writer, but for now you've got to be, you know, you don't have the kind of income levels to be a full-time writer. So you're going to have to do your day job or whatever else it is you've got to do. And then you look at all the other stuff and you look at that stuff and you start to identify stuff that no longer works for you that you can get rid of. Changes Mm -hmm. that you can make. Maybe you can go from, you know, full-time role to a part-time role. Um, Responsibilities that you have, that emotional labor that you talk about. McKinsey and company did a study a number of years ago, and it talked about how amongst working professional women, women were still on average doing a couple more hours um, uh, household labor um, than, than their partners. And so, you know, you may need to have conversations with people in your family about their participation in the things that, you know, take you away from that Um, some of it is careful planning. I have a friend and during the holidays, you know, she'll take my kids for a day and I'll take her kids for a day. So we both actually get a full day of child free work done rather than having two days of, you know, well, the kids, you can just watch a movie for a little bit and then go play outside. And then I'll try and think of something to do in the afternoon. Um, you know, you have to engage the people around you in your life to figure out how to make that work. And then I have, um, once you've gone through all of those things, on a day-to-day basis, um, I have a, a belief that it's okay to drop things. Uh, I think productivity suffers when we struggle to try and keep all of the balls in the air. And you know it's a known fact that context switching, so going from task to task to task is a productivity killer, like if you've read the book um Deep work, they talk about um the benefits of getting immersed in something for a longer period of time. So what I do is on a and and these change they're they each week i'll look i'll identify which balls I'm juggling are glass and which balls I'm juggling
0: are plastic. I love this analogy yeah. it's such a good it's such a good visual for what's glass and what's, what's droppable. I actually have a glass, um, I have a glass crystal ball on my desk that (laughs) makes, it reminds me every time I look at it, like what's glass and what's plastic, please keep going. This is brilliant.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So if you think about your priorities as glass and plastic on a week, and I'm going to say something that's, you know, I'm going to say some things that I'm sure some people will gasp in horror when I say this, but you know, glass balls are, they're breakable. They're hard to replace. They're fragile. They're precious and plastic balls. They'll bounce. They're easy to replace. They're resilient. They can be important. Um, but you know, the world isn't going to stop spinning on its axis if you drop one of them. And, and some weeks, you know, my children are glass balls. My children are, you know, they have an important show that they've been practicing for months and they expect me to be there. And so they are a glass ball. There are some weeks like the week where I have a book due on Friday, where I have a deadline, where my children become plastic balls because I know my husband's got it. Yeah, he knows because my dream is important. I've told him. It my time is mine to give away. That week I have to give my work the the focus and I've mm-hmm. asked for support. I've got my husband as backup, you know, for any responsibilities i usually have like you know i take the kids to karate well guess what this week hubby's taking the kids to karate because that's the only way it's going to work so you go through your priorities at the start of the week and you decide ahead of time which you're going to drop if you have to because Mm -hmm. they're plastic and they'll bounce and some weeks your career could be glass and some weeks your career could be plastic you know if you're yep. working on a a project that's going to take a month and you know you've got a, a middle week where you're waiting for some data to come in and nothing's quite ready yet that might be the week where the, that balls a bit plastic and you're going to give your time to something else so uh, honestly i think looking each week and and being flexible not not assigning something because tradition tells you it's so, you know, people will say, well, your children should always be glass balls. Well, as long as you've got a good support network around you and everybody knows the plan and you're organized, sometimes you can allow them to be plastic because you know they're in good hands.
0: All too often, I think spouses are put in a support role of the other spouse's um, career. You know, you're working late. I understand. I adjust. It is okay to advocate for your own Time and your career goals, even if this is like a second career, it's not your primary career. Absolutely. It's okay to ask for time.
1: When I'd gone through this exercise and I I looked at what time I had, and I knew that I wanted to write a romance book. And obviously, I was an executive at this company. I had two young children, I had um, two children under four, and I knew I wanted to find time to write. And part of this exercise, I found um, I was a CSI addict. <laughs> I would watch what? CSI. Oh, my goodness. I Literally, a f- true story. I was 10 centimeters dilated and ready to push according to the doctor. And it was like three minutes from the end of a CSI episode. And I'm like, can I just catch the last three
0: minutes? <laughs> so is it csi original recipe uh, csi sunglasses or oh. csi uh new
1: york csi sunglasses bugs the pants off me a little bit but i still watch it and you can <laughs> you can find an episode of csi on anywhere
0: like oh yeah it's like law and order yeah, yeah.
1: it's, it's <laughs> like it's on it's on a channel somewhere and I found that I would literally, I, you know, I'd get the kids to bed, I'd sit down on the sofa, I'd take a deep breath, and then I'd find an episode of CSI. And so one of, one of the things I did, because my time is mine to give away, my dreams are important, um, I decided that from nine o'clock until half past 10 every night, Monday through Friday, I was going to spend an hour and a half on something that was important to me. And what I would do on a Sunday is figure out what I was going to do that week because I I also do decade goals. So from um, uh, forty to fifty was I was going to learn to play the piano, uh, and so I you know I wanted to practice my piano um, and I wanted to write this book, and so I just made nine till ten thirty my immovable time. That time became glass to me. I wouldn't allow anything to interrupt it. Short, sure, I mean. Obviously, if it was somebody's birthday, you know, I might do that instead. But uh, for the most part, it was an absolutely immovable thing for me to have that window of time every night so that I knew I could put aside everything else. I wouldn't context switch. I'd put my work Blackberry to one side. Um, You know, I would go into a separate room to my husband. I wouldn't allow myself to be distracted. And I would give myself that hour and a half at night. And that's how I started to put together the framework for the strongest steel, which was my first book. Um, I, you know, I used the time to do some English language courses, which I know I speak English, but I learned English in the North of England and we're not known for our um, exact pronunciation and we certainly don't favor commas. So, you know, I did some (laughs) English language courses. I practiced my piano and I made that time
0: for me. So you broke up with CSI. I I
1: broke up with CSI.
0: Listen, my dogs do not like your decision. I know. They're They're offended. They're very upset about this decision. I think it's more likely that the UPS person has arrived and (laughs) they don't like that either. Oh, God. We are not under attack at this time, though the patrol will continue. I apologize for the interruption.
1: (laughs) That's Okay. They're they're very distressed on behalf of David Caruso. (laughs)
0: They really are. David Caruso has a good team behind him now. So you broke up with CSI to make room for the things that you wanted to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was, it was as simple as that. And it took some, you know, I'm very lucky. My husband was leaning in long before Sheryl Sandberg made it a popular phrase. Um, And so I've never um, felt like I've ever. Uh, you know had to ask my husband to step in to do things like he's always done his fair share like we've never we've never had a, a problem with that in any way um yeah you're
0: partners in a lot of things yeah
1: we're partners in a lot of things and so you know he's never been shy in fact he actually took paternity leave um because i was the breadwinner at the time so he actually took the time off work to spend time with our son um but you know to make that work when i came you know when i finished putting the Children to bed, I I wasn't getting involved with cleaning up the kitchen. Like that was no longer my responsibility. That was his. And instead, I took something that he did at the weekend and it all just kind of worked out in the wash kind of thing.
0: Um, Mm -hmm. but
1: you know, certain things had to happen to make sure I could have that time. And and I just want to say something. It can seem incredibly selfish to do this. Um I think the, especially when you're in a relationship, the important thing is if you can do this together. Um, where you're both honest with what your dreams are and the time you need and how to make this work, that makes it a lot um, easier to work through. So, you know, my husband's got his own goals and he's got his own non-negotiable times that he needs to keep clear to do things. And, Mm And so, you know, it's not just kind of me going, well, hang on a second, everybody work around my schedule, because this is yeah. what I need. um You know, there is a conversation about, okay, this is what I need. And this is what you need. And how do we work this together to make it so that we can, you know, all get the things that we need. So, you know, you may need to compromise if you want to get, you know, eight hours writing time a week done, maybe you can't do an hour and a half every day, maybe you have to do Saturday morning and Sunday morning, or maybe you need to, you know, have Saturday out of the house and you go to the library or, you know what I mean? That you, you may have to be creative in the way you find a way for that to work in your family, but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't take the time.
0: Yes. And it also requires that you be honest about the work that you are doing that, you, that other people may not necessarily understand as work. Yes. And this is where it
1: just comes down to a clear articulation of your dream. You don't need anybody's permission or approval to say, I am going to go and write a steamy romance book. You don't, you don't need anybody's approval. You don't need anybody's permission to do that. I always say I am a proud romance writer. I tell anybody who listens, I don't try and dress it up that I, you know, sort of write women's fiction. I don't, I write straight up romance and I'm
0: unapologetic about that. Yep. And you have to be able to advocate for yourself in saying, okay, these are the things that I do in the evening. Would you please take these two days worth of stuff? And then in exchange, I will do this stuff. You have to be honest about the work that you're doing. Yes. Mutually. Yes. Not assign it based on gender or habit or expectation or or role. You, you have to be honest about all of the things that you do that are in fact work that a lot of people don't consider work.
1: Yeah. It's, and you can use your pie chart for this, right? You can say, look, yeah, I, I looked over this two week period of time and this is the, these are the things I spend my time doing. And it's amazing how many, um, because I worked with a lot of senior level working professionals. Um, one of the things that I, you know, because those people were in a financial situation to be able to afford it, I would often mm-hmm. advocate outsourcing cleaning, um, because, still unfortunately in many households that is still very much viewed as a gender assigned role Um, and we end up doing a disproportionate amount of it Um, and so as a you know I remember working with a young vice president and you know I said to her I'm like why You, you can afford this now reclaim the however many hours a week you spend doing laundry and doing these chores for you so that you can either I mean, you can do what you want with the time. You can pursue something creative or you can just lie in your bed because it's been an exhausting week. But, you know, claim back some of this time for yourself because you're in this position to be able to afford that.
0: Mm-hmm. I also advocate for outsourcing some things because you're also supporting another person's business.
1: Oh, yes. Yes,
0: yes. Like all of the cleaning services that I have used, with the exception of one, have been run by women. yes. And you are supporting another person's business, especially if you find a local company that is, you know, helping other people find local specific jobs. I mean, it's it is as much someone else's labor that you are paying for as it is um, enabling someone else to do their work yes. that they want to get paid for in a and and the, there's a lot of flexibility in in housekeeping services for the people who do it you know what i mean well and there's also for you as when you make these decisions there's a
1: there's a cost value trade off that we don't make, which is, it feels like it's, it's a shot in the short term outsourcing anything. And it it could be, you know, as an author, it could be, you know, organizing your Facebook party, setting up your social media. It could be promotions for release week. There's all kinds of things that you can outsource. Um, Mm -hmm. the question is, is your time better spent doing something else? And is the person you're outsourcing it to more qualified, better qualified, better connected, to do the work than you are. Um, and so if the answer to those things are are true, then then you should absolutely go ahead and and outsource um, whatever it is that you spend your time doing. I hate I hate you- making teasers. I I hate, hate, hate making teasers. I am useless at it.
0: What, you mean like teasing an upcoming title? Yeah, teasing an upcoming title, yeah. I I thought for a second you were about to say you hate making tea, and I was like, listen, that is a very dangerous statement for you to make. While currently in England, um, you you might want to lock the door. (laughs) I
1: actually have my hand on a teacup with tea in it as we speak. (laughs) I actually hate
0: making tea in like half of the county. (laughs)
1: Yeah, everybody in England just turned off your podcast. Um, Yes, (laughs) (laughs) you hate making teasers for books i hate making book teasers um i'm useless at it i don't have a great eye for it it takes me way too long i have a phenomenal teaser maker and she makes me my teasers and and they are amazing so you know why would i not outsource that to somebody else um I, i hate it it takes me forever and my you know the way i make money is by writing books. yes. And, you know, if I spend two hours faffing around on Canva to make a single teaser, you know, whatever, when somebody else could have, I'm like, you know, I'd rather be writing words.
0: I recently wrote an article for the Romance Writers Report, uh, which is the publication from Romance Writers of America and um it was it was created in part because there was an article published in a prior issue about hiring a virtual assistant. Um, and it talked about not paying the virtual assistant. Mm-hmm. And there were people in the article advocating paying their virtual assistants with gift cards or free signed books. and I was um, I was incandescent with rage about that because I am a former executive assistant, and uh, you pay people for their work. And the point of hiring an assistant is exactly what you said. You don't have to hire somebody full time. You can hire somebody for five or six hours a month um, to do things that takes them 15 minutes that would take you two hours. And what you've done is you've gotten yourself five hours of clear work time that you're not going to spend on these business and administrative related tasks. What are you going to do with that time? Yeah. One of the things that has been incredibly beneficial to me is to be audacious enough to assign myself a billable hour How much is my hour worth? I assigned a billable hour rate to my time. Now I'm married to an attorney. So for a very long time, I understood thinking in billable hours because that's, you know, that's how attorneys bill. Now I am not an attorney, but hey, hold up. If I assign a financial value to my time, then it helps me figure out, is it actually worth it for me to try to do this on my own or would it be less expensive for me to hire someone to do this who can do it faster and better with greater professionalism and ease than for me to spend X number of hours learning how to do it, figuring out how to do it and then screwing up a couple of times because I don't know how to do it. Assigning a monetary value to your time allows you to better budget that time.
1: Absolutely. And I think there's there's two pieces to this. There's the first piece around the the pure economics of it would my time be better spent doing this other thing i think the thing we sometimes miss in this conversation though is and you touched on it is the quality you know if somebody is going to do a better job than me where mm-hmm. the results that i would get from this piece of work that has been done is even more beneficial to me then it's a it's a double whammy and sometimes i might make that decision even if it's more, it would work out more expensive for somebody else to do it because, you know, if they do a better job than I could. So for example, making a book cover, if they do a so much better job than I do, because they bring a creativity to it and I to it trends, they understand all of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, then why would I not pay more? Because I'm paying for expertise. And so, yep. uh, you know, that would be the only. That would, that would be the time that I would make a different decision that wasn't purely based on economics. Um, are they just gonna do a better job than I am? And the truth is,
0: yeah, they are sometimes. Yeah. So how um, what are some of the things that you advocate in terms of conceiving of your time as having a value and conceiving of your of your time as something to give away? What advice do you have for people who want to be more productive and have decided to make this shift in their thinking?
1: I think the first thing is you have to set up a mechanism by which you rigorously track the way in which you spend your time. And there are lots of different ways you can do this. You you could, you know, if you're creative um, you may prefer something like one of the, the the planners that you can put all the stickers and colors and you can have fun with that. It can be a great creative outlet. It can be a way to relax and something you do at the weekends and you can plan your time. You can manage your time in Google Calendar or any online calendar app.
0: Um, I what you're <laughs> uh,
1: you could also use a, you, you know, just a straight up moleskin planner, but understanding um, where you are currently spending your time and then making sure that in what whatever that is, whatever form you take to manage your time, um, you have your your goals, your the things that are important to you, the dreams you have, the things you want to spend your time on. So that every week, as you are planning your time, as you are looking at how you are going to give your time away this week, mm-hmm. you make sure you're doing that with an eye on the things that you want to spend your time on.
0: Very true. I used to sit down on Sunday afternoons and look at what I had on my schedule work-wise for the week and then ask myself at the top of a list, where do I want to be by the end of the week? What do I want to have done? What do I want to have accomplished? What are the things that I want to be done with or move forward on by Friday? Where do I want to be in five days? And then I would adjust my list accordingly. I was always a little bit uh, you know, ambitious with my list, sometimes a little unrealistic because I would put too many things down. Yeah. But another thing that helped me was not only looking forward, but also looking back. I have a program called Rescue Time on my computer and my phone and my laptop. Yep. And it sends me a weekly report of actually how I spent my time um, because I don't even know what year it is. So me calculating these things is a very bad idea.
1: I have that app and I can honestly say that it's it's amazing. And it's slightly scary when you see your productivity pulse for
0: the first time. Yes, it gives you a number of your like percentage of your, you know, it gives you a number to rate your productivity. And then it tells you how many hours you worked and how much of that was productive time. Now I had to teach it some things like if I am on Chrome, and I am inside smart bitches, trashybooks.com, I'm actually working and not fucking around because I'm in the yes. back end, <laughs> doing <Yes>. my job. <laughs> but it also was like, Oh, okay, so that website is is um that website is work. That's fine. But what about this other website that you spent 25 minutes on? Oh, yes, you're right. That was not work. I've gotten rid of apps on my phone because they were too tempting and sucking up too much of my time.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a, a great piece of advice in and of itself is just remove everything. My husband is like one of these techie super security guys. And so we have this system one password. And so I get out of everything because it's a pain in the butt to go to the app, to find the password, to go back to the thing, to open it. So Honestly, it's like too many steps. You know, if I'm if it's too many steps, I'm like, you know what, I'm I'm not doing it. So I just I just make it hard
0: to do the wrong thing. Um, so you put obstacles in your way to prevent you from easily doing the things that you shouldn't be doing, yeah. and you remove obstacles from that get in the way of accomplishing the things that you want to accomplish.
1: Yeah, I have focus time on my um, uh, desktop. And you can turn that on for an hour, two hours, three hours, and then it turns off all of the social media apps and all that kind of stuff. And it puts up um, a screen with some, like, motivation quote about you know like not wasting your time and not progressing yeah. um and there is a pause button on it but you can only pause it for like i think it's 10 minutes and then you can't use the pause button again for another two hours um, yeah. and so again it's just one of those things that once i've turned that on to get to facebook i would actually have to turn it off wait for all the apps to come back up again and then yeah. go in and it just feels like oh yeah, I remember, I'm not supposed to be doing that right now. It's just, yep. that, you know, reminder, we're not doing this right now.
0: Changing your mentality towards the things that are sort of autopilot wastes of time. I I think of them as the the the, the treats for the Jack Russell Terrier part of my brain. Yes. What's going on here? What's going on over here? What, over here? Go, oh, what's going on over here? What are we going over here? Let's Oh, what's going over there? What about here? Like, that's a part of my brain. It's like, how about Twitter? How about Twitter? And I'm like, you know what now? And then another, not only am I better now at recognizing uh, the the Jack Russell Terrier part of my brain. But in the last few months, um, doing more deep reading into social media as a business, um I am less and less willing to be someone else's product. Yeah, and I don't I don't want to participate in being someone else's product if they are managing that product, that service so poorly that it's actually harmful to me. so it's it's it's, it's easier and easier when I look at the time that I spend, look at what part of my brain that I'm satisfying, which is the distracted board part and examining what it is that I'm actually doing when I participate in some forms of social media. The other thing that helps a lot is um, using a timer like the Pomodoro technique where you do 20 or 25 minutes with a five minute break. I've been teaching this to my younger son because he's now in middle school and he has a monster load of homework. The timer works really well in two ways for me and for him. One Um, you are only going to be doing this for the next 20 minutes and then you get a five minute break to do whatever you want. You can watch whatever you want. You can do whatever you want for five minutes. Then we're going to come back to it. So you're not going to be doing this forever. Yeah. But if you, if you focus, if you really buckle down, I bet you can totally get it done before the timer gets all goes off. So I'm (laughs) racing myself and giving myself a break at the same time. It's like magic.
1: It's true. I'm a big believer. I actually, um, when I'm writing, I set, I do an hour um, and then I get up and walk around. Um, Actually Mm -hmm. at the, at the advice of my optician, I was having, um, I was having headaches and it was nothing more than just sitting, looking at a screen for ever and ever. And he's like, you need to change the distance with which you are looking at things. So it's like every hour you need to get up and go look out your window and look at something a lot further away from you. Yeah. And um, and so I found that totally helped. And the headaches went away almost immediately. And, uh, and so I do an hour. I have my phone. My buzzer goes off. I get up. I go and look out the window. I have a walk around. I make a cup of tea because I do like tea. And... <laughs> <laughs> And then I sit back It's really a mild diplomatic incident that we've gone through.
0: <laughs> so when people, um, after you gave this workshop at, at RWA, what were some of the questions and reactions that you got?
1: Well, it, it's interesting. Um, some of the questions I got were around um, very personal circumstances. Well, you know, I have this and this is, you know, this is my life and how do I, you know, rearrange my, and th- those were very personal circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, the interesting thing was the number of questions I got in the room, we we used up the time, um, but the number of questions I got afterwards was significantly higher than the questions I got in the room. And I think it comes back to this where I'm, we're, we're embarrassed by our goals. So we've got to give yeah. ourselves permission. Like nobody in the room wanted to stand up and go, okay, I want to be the next Nora Roberts. So how do I, do you know what do you know what how do I organize my time how do I you know those kinds of things so I think the first one was there still is modesty about goals I would get a lot of questions like does this seem like a reasonable goal like is it you know do you think I could be a USA Today bestseller with with my first book you know and the answer to all these questions is why the heck not some people have some people haven't some people are journeyman authors and they'll be mid-list for their entire career some people hit it big on their first book you know why, why not? Why would it not be a great goal to aim for? And then if you're going to set that as a goal, you know, what are the things you would have to do to make sure, you know, you stand a fighting chance? You, maybe you have to organize your publisher. Maybe it needs to get on a NetGalley a month before. Maybe you need to, you know, organize a blog tour or maybe you need to do, you know, what are the things, Facebook advertising, what are the things you need to do to make that goal come true? So there was a lot of, is this goal feasible? Is it realistic? Which I understand right? Because, you know, I set some really ballsy goals when I first started doing it. I said I was going to write, I was going to release, um, 15 books in my first three years. And I, you know, I say this, I only released 12.
0: (laughs) Um, You only released 12 in three years. Yeah. Um, Yeah.
1: Okay. I was going to release 15. Failure. Um, but the, um, so yeah, I think, I think set some, set some big goals, right? Like that's fine. At
0: least three and nine and I'm fine with yeah. that. <laughs> well,
1: you know, set, set the big goal. It's great. You're going to have to figure out what you need to do to achieve it, but that's okay. Big goals are fine. The second one was a lot of relationship type questions, right? You know, um, my spouse doesn't like doing the ho- the housework, um, you know, my significant other, um, you know, doesn't think my projects are important. Um, you know, there was, uh, you know, questions about that kind of thing, um, which those are about, you know, honest communication, open dialogue, you know, if you're not going to help, then we need to outsource, right? Because I can't do all of this and do my hobbies and activities. um, um, and, and my passion projects. Um, so I think, though, that was a second type of question: How do I manage this within my home um, to make this work for me? And then there was the, um, you know, the kind of. Um, I'm a great believer that if you if you don't believe you can do it, you probably won't. And so anybody who kind of caveated their question with, you know, I'm pretty certain I'm never going to be a USA Today bestseller, so I'm just going to be happy. You know, as a you know, a, a journey author, um, I'd ask, I'd challenge them on that. So why why do you believe you're not going to be a USA Today bestselling author? There's a lot of obsession. I, authors do tend to gravitate around you know bestseller list as a as a marker of success. I'm not I'm not a hundred percent. It certainly says a lot about volume, um, but I don't know that it's the only marker of success as an author. But, um, you know, if you don't believe that you can hit it, you probably won't. And that's my advice to anybody who tried to caveat or, you know, set up a question. You know, I'm probably never going to be as good as, I'm probably never going to hit 4,000 words a day. I'm never going to, get a traditional book deal. I'm never going to, if you're, if you're talking in conversation like that, the chances are you probably won't hit those goals because that's, that's a core self-belief. If you think you can't, you won't. You have to think you will to be successful.
0: If you set yourself the goal to be published, there are, one of the things I like about the current publishing marketplace is that if your goal is to write and publish a book in the romance genre, there are many different paths to do that. And there's many different ways to measure success that can be inherently personal. Yes. One of the things that was very hard for me, um, was that I didn't have a lot of models to follow in creating my business. Like I, I, there aren't that many businesses that are exactly the same to mine. And so a lot of it I'm making up as I go and I'm making up my own markers of success and I'm making up my own um, goals. What are the things that I want to achieve? What are the things that I want to do? And sometimes that is I want to stay open for business. That's what I want to do because yeah. it's hard. That's a very hard goal when you're a, a website that's fueled in a lot of ways by advertisement and um, advertiser commissions and purchase commissions. Like these are, these are hard markets. But I also think that it's important to examine the source of external goals. Like you mentioned, um, you want to hit a bestseller list. I find bestseller lists to be so frustrating because they are measuring the sales of a thing during a very limited time. And they don't measure cumulative sales. So I know some of the cumulative sales figures for my books, and I am over the flipping moon that I sold that many copies, that my book is on a syllabus, that my book is in academic libraries. Like I am incredibly deeply proud of that. Am I a bestseller? Nope. But I also think that publishing's way, of measuring itself is so inherently flawed that it is okay to opt out of participating in that as a, as a signal for yourself as, as a goal. Um, Measuring the amount of books that you sell in a one week period and then stopping and doing something else is, I mean, that's banana crackers. That's, I don't know of any other business that does that. There's always, almost always a cumulative measure except in books. So I think it's okay to say, you know, I'm going to opt out of that, and I'm going to set another goal for myself, and that goal is just as valid.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think it's also um, you always enter into um, tricky water when you make your measures comparative on something that is subjective.
0: Yes, thank you. And
1: so, if you um, Should be the writer. <laughs> you say thank <laughs> you, word. If, you word well. Oh, thank you. <laughs> It would be, it's it's one thing um, to, you know, can I probably fairly safely say that, you know, my, you know, if I could be like anybody, I could be like Vi Keeland, um, you know, I'm pretty certain Vi Keeland has sold more books than me. And I think, but, you know, we never have that information. All you can go off is rankings and how high did it get up and how many books came out. And the chances are there's more. Um, but, um you know when you get into conversations where you compare yourself to somebody's quality when you compare mm-hmm. yourself to somebody's productivity when you compare yourself to things that are um qualitative and um subjective then you're setting yourself up for a whole heap of heartache because who's to determine you know which is the better book book A or book B and,
2: and oh absolutely and there are
1: competitions but you know, as many authors of color know, um, those competitions often have biases. Um, so it doesn't mean your book is not actually um better or worse. It just, you know, it didn't get a fair um you know, shot at the at the goal, right? And so um, you know, I think yeah, if you're if you're looking at comparative, you're looking at subjective, you're looking at qualitative. Um, measures to determine your own
0: success. It's a bit of a fool's errand. I am uh, intimately acquainted with this because I am often sometimes one of the, uh, I am sometimes one of the goals that people have. I want my book to be reviewed on smart bitches. I want my book to get an A on smart bitches. Okay. That's really rare. The the A part that's real rare. We do not get those out a lot because they have a great deal of meaning. Um, And I challenge reviewers who submit A's to me actually, okay, why is this an A? Why is this the best book you have ever read bar none? It is going to be something you recommend eternally. Like this has a meaning. If it didn't have meaning, then what is the point? Um, that may not happen, but that doesn't mean your book isn't good. Yeah, It means that like, you know, I am, no one decides some someone's future at a, at a publishing house based on what a website says. Yeah. Like that doesn't happen. Like no one is like, oh well, we can't renew their contract. This website said that their book said you know was a B. Like no, that doesn't happen. No, you need a bigger rubric. You need a bigger measurement than than that. I mean, it's a great goal, and I am super flattered to be someone's goal. Yeah, but um, that that can't be the only goal. That's not a good idea. No,
1: and so I think <laughs> I think um, having a wide range of goals that determine success for you. Two. So when I was a business professional, you know, obviously I had title goals. You know, I want to be at this level. I want to be senior vice president of strategy for a company that, you know, my goals would get progressively bigger, you know, a 10 billion company, a 30 billion company, a 40 billion company. Um, I had salary expectations. You know, I want to be earning this much and I want to be earning this much and I want to be earning this much. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: But I also had goals around the number of people. I was going to mentor, Um, you know, how many people am I going to mentor this year? And Mm -hmm. how many women um, am I going to create an opportunity for this year? Mm -hmm. Um, So I also had goals that were um, not connected to my own success, but to somebody else's. Um, Because, you know, there's, there's an element of of giving back to the community in that whatever form it is, right? And whether you're you 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 know you give uh, critiques in a pitching competition, or you give um, you know uh, services to a, a writing auction, or you do other things. There's there's there are goals you can have um, that also give back, um, and you can also have goals about. Um, I was a very tenacious type of leader. I was a great believer in really? leading from the front, and. Being, you know, finding and surrounding myself with incredibly smart people that I could create great opportunities for, so they could just run and do great work and be successful. Um, But it was a it was a very high energy style of leadership, and there was a, a CTO at the company I worked for, and I swear to goodness, this woman just went through the building like a swan. Nothing ever ruffled her feathers. It didn't matter how heated a meeting got, or uh, you know, I, I never saw her super happy. I never saw her super sad. She would just she would just go through the business on a very even keel. And one year, I had a goal to work with her on a project because I wanted to learn how she did that. It was just a, a personal aspiration that I had that I I wanted to learn from somebody else how to do it, and so. I just straight up went to her and I said, I love your leadership style. I'd love to learn more. I hear you're doing this project this year. I'd like to volunteer to be on the committee to do it just so that I can work with you. And, um, you know, I was able to do that. So I think having goals. Did you learn
0: how to swan?
1: I'm I'm (laughs) still a
0: bit of a duck, got to be honest. I don't know, because I've I've met some swans that are total assholes. So I'm assuming it's not one of
1: those. No, no, I, you know, but I'm a bit quicker at realizing when I'm like head down, bums up now, like I get, I get, I get right a bit quicker (laughs) than I used to. Um, But yeah, I think, you know, we talk about goals, we talk about comparative subjective, we talk about, you know, lists and and there's a piece around, you know, just your personal self into personal skills or Um, you know, ways you want to give back that are also equally important, um, to have goals around.
0: I really like the idea that the root, the base of productivity is actually the idea that you believe in your own success and abilities. Yes. Because productivity is a form of affirmation that you can do the things that you want to do with the skills that you have in place.
1: Yes. Yes. And also, self belief, you can take it a step further. Maybe you want to do something that you don't know how to. Self belief can also be that you have the capacity to learn. So, for example, you know, I was, I I have an engineering background. I went to work for Toyota in the UK and in Japan. I went to work for a big consulting firm and then I ended up in a retail environment. And then I was like, do you know what? I'm going to become a romance writer. There was nothing in my past record that said I had the skills to be a writer, but my past history did say that I had the tenacity to figure out how to navigate a new career and skills that would allow me to drop in and learn quickly how to do it. And so my Mm -hmm. self-belief wasn't necessarily, I'm going to write a great book. My self-belief was I have the skills to learn how to write a great book. And so self-belief can be about a forward-facing thing that you can't do right now, but your self-belief that you have it within yourself to
0: learn how to do it. And that you can you can differentiate between the things that you actually want and the things that you think you should want, but you don't actually care about. Yes. Yes. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> That's a whole other thing. The should thing is a whole other thing. I often find that there are things that I have learned to do that when I look back, I realize, oh, that really resonated with me for some reason. Like I saw someone snowboarding, just totally cruising down the easiest part of the mountain, just completely relaxed. And I was like, I want to learn how to do that. That looks amazingly fun. And it is hard. It is so hard. Yeah. It is one of the hardest things I have ever learned to do, but I adore it. And I was, and I remember I got this really great piece of advice on Twitter from someone who I tangentially connected with, who I still follow from for like nine years, who I've never met in person, who also learned how to snowboard. And he said, um, his name's Kai McMahon. And he said, the important part is to not get dispirited when you fall down. Just get back up. You are gonna fall don't get dispirited when you do, just get back up. And I kept telling myself that because you fall a lot when you learn to snowboard. And I also put on pads on my wrists. I have um, metal guards in my mittens so I don't hurt my wrists. And I ride with contractor knee pads on so that I wasn't afraid to fall because I had padded myself. And I look back on that and I'm like, I really wanted to. It was so hard. It was so difficult. And now it is one of my favorite things to do. And I look at that experience and I'm like, wait, dude, you learned to snowboard when you were like 39. You can totally do this. Go do it. You're going to be fine. You've got this. Get your mittens. Go do it. Well, and there's, there's we, a really important point in your
1: story there. The really important point in your story is the falling down didn't hurt as much because learning to snowboard was your passion. Yeah. If yeah. You, it really resonated. If you do not care for skiing or snowboarding at all, and somebody told you that you have to go and learn how to snowboard you the, the falling down is going to be incrementally more painful and more tiring yep. and exhausting to get up because it is not yep. what you are passionate about and that happens when we are in jobs that we don't really want to be doing when we're in careers that we don't really want to be stuck in when we're at university and we're in year 2 of a degree that maybe your parents have contributed to and you realize that you don't want to be an architect after all right it is yep. it is incrementally more painful to do those things and our our willingness to Overlook the pain and the difficulty when we are working on something we are truly passionate
0: about is incredible. Yeah. Yes. And you're willing to break up with CSI. I'm willing to break up with CSI. (laughs) (laughs) Set aside your love for Gil Grissom and David Caruso. That's it. it. (laughs) (laughs) I can still talk
1: about some of those shows, like to, you know, I could give you a play by play on the episode.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, that is still a beneficial um, element because it's going to teach you storytelling in a specific beat structure. I mean, there are benefits to that. It's just also being able to say, okay, I have, I have, have learned all I can. Yeah. Well, one
1: of the things I talked about in the presentation I gave at RWA is, you know, if you've ever read Malcolm Gladwell, he believes it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert. And, um, you know, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I did it for the presentation. Um, you know, if these long running series that have been on forever, Grey's Anatomy, CSI, um, you know, those kinds long of, hour, yeah, that have been yeah. on forever. Like if, if mm-hmm. you did the math and added up, if you watched those series, how many hours you've spent committed to watching those shows, right? I am yep. not going to judge anybody who at the end of a hard day just wants to come home, throw off their shoes, take off their bra and watch TV. That is, this is not about judgment. Oh, but yeah. if you add up those hours and you take into account Malcolm Gladwell's theory that you need to have done something for 10,000 hours to become an expert at it. You could be well on your way to being an expert at something, and that was my that was my rationale for giving up CSI because I knew that I did not want to be ten thousand hours into being able to do a pub quiz on CSI. I wanted to be ten thousand <laughs> hours on my way to doing something else, and and that was
0: for me was more important. Yes, I completely agree. Now, I always ask, and I didn't prepare you for this question, so I apologize in advance. I always ask if there's any books that you're reading that you want to talk about. And if there are not, and you'd like to tell us about your next book, that is also completely okay. Or you can do both. Ooh,
1: that's a really good question. Um, I am currently reading Llewellyn's Sabbat Almanac for 2019, um, which is, um, it is a, I guess you'd say a pagan book of spells um, for the year of 2019 I get it every year and I really enjoy using it and um, you know I'll pick candles and herbs and ribbons and various things
0: um, at home uh, so I- are there any spells in there to get rid of fascism <laughs> no Do we can you send them to me please
1: <laughs> no unfortunately there are not if there if there were I would I, okay, well, I have I I I I <laughs> shared it on Twitter by now if there was
0: wait oh my gosh imagine the spell if you if you if you did a spell on twitter to get rid of fascism how many accounts would be deleted (laughs) i can't
1: can't (laughs) even predict the math on that um do well, you hear us <laughs> I'm, I'm also reading Chaos Monkeys, which is about the kind of real boom time in um internet startup um in San Francisco, which is fascinating. It's all like big boom mm. or bust Wolf of Wall Street personalities type books, which is incredibly uh interesting so those are the two books I am currently reading Ooh. and I just did a massive binge reread of uh Tilly Cole's Hades Hangman. I read them all back to back while I was away last week. <laughs> nice. Yeah.
0: And that brings us to the end of this interview. I want to thank Scarlett Cole for hanging out with me and talking all about her presentation. If you would like to find her, you can find her on her website at scarletcole.com and on Facebook at It's scarlet Cole. The major points that I want to make sure that you don't miss, and here's the inspirational part of the outro. It is important to believe, as Scarlett said, that your time is yours to give away. Your dreams are important. You get to decide what your balls are made of. And then you get to give yourself permission to be successful. I hope that you will give yourself permission to be successful right now and in the next year. And if you want to tell me what your goals are for the next year, I'm super nebby and I kind of want to know. You can email me at sbjpodcast at gmail.com or you can call and leave a message at 201-371-3272. If you want to tell us a name, any name you want, and where you're calling from, that would be cool too, but you don't have to. Meanwhile, behind me... Wilbur is in a box and Orville also wants to be in the box. And these goals seem to be in conflict. So if you hear weird noises, that's what's happening here in the office at the moment. This week's podcast and transcript are brought to you by Catherine Bybee's Chasing Shadows, available now from Montlake Romance. New York Times bestselling romance writer Catherine Bybee has reached nearly 6 million readers with her smart and seductive contemporary romances, Now she's back again with Chasing Shadows, the third entry in her wildly popular First Wives series. Avery Grant doesn't date. Her first marriage was a mutually beneficial contract that gave her the financial freedom she needed to step away from her controlling parents. Wealthy and single, the last thing she's looking for is love sneaking in to mess up her life plans. And after a brutal attack in New York City that nearly kills her, She is determined to never be vulnerable again, even if the new man in her life helps her feel safe. She throws herself into learning self-defense, both physically and emotionally. Mesmerized from the moment he sets eyes on Avery, Liam is driven to learn everything about this tough, sexy, challenging woman. Breaking down her defenses won't be easy, but Liam refuses to be pushed away, All he needs is a tiny crack in Avery's armor to wiggle his way into her heart. But when a terrifying lie about her attacker's fate comes to light, Avery's past returns to haunt her. Now she's willing to put herself in danger to get the answers she needs. But that means jeopardizing the best thing that's ever happened to her. Liam. This box is the best thing that's ever happened to my cats, I swear. Harlequin Junkie calls Chasing Shadows, Catherine Bybee at her best. Readers who want their romance peppered with a mix of thrilling suspense, a bad boy hero, and a whole lot of female empowerment will love Chasing Shadows by Catherine Bybee, available now from Motley Romance. We have a podcast patron, and if you have supported the podcast Patreon with a monthly pledge, thank you. You are helping make sure that every episode is transcribed by Garlic Knitter. Thank you Garlic Knitter and you're helping me make sure that every episode is accessible to everyone. If you'd like to have a look, you can join at patreon.com smartbitches. Monthly pledges at $1 a month make you part of the group that help me develop questions for upcoming interviews and suggest guests for the new year. You can also, if you'd like to support this show or any other podcast that you love, leave a review wherever or however excuse me, you listen, tell a friend, subscribe, whatever works. But as always, thank you for hanging out with me each week. Our music every week is provided by Sassy Outwater. You can find her on Twitter at Sassy Outwater. This is Deviations Project, with my favorite holiday album and my favorite holiday album title. Still better than Shatner Claws, I'm pretty sure. This is a Adeste Fiddles. This track is The Holly and the Ivy. You can find this album at Amazon or wherever you get your funky music. It is, as I say, my favorite for the holiday season. Coming up on Smart Bitches next week, we have a mammoth undertaking. It is Hanukkah time. Hanukkah starts Sunday night, and that means eight straight nights of giveaways at Smart Bitches. We plan this giveaway all year, and we've got wonderful things to share with you. Please come by and enter. We love celebrating with you, and each day we have a special item or package of items to give away specifically to celebrate how great the Smart Bitches community is. Happy Hanukkah to all of you, and may your holidays be warm and filled with light and chocolate, and also, if you're very lucky, delicious fried food. Or if you're my cats, a giant mammoth box to fight over while I'm recording. What else is going on? Uh, Elise is giving you a tutorial on how to create your own bookmas In the pictures for this entry, there are many cats. Not my cats, her cats, but they are as active as mine are right now. If you've got books and maybe also cats, she's got pictures and step-by-step instructions. And if you make your own book, mystery, we totally want to see it. We also have reviews, our weekly gift guide, a post on holiday crafting ideas, and of course, books on sale and help a bitch out. I hope you will come and hang out with us and come back each day to enter our eight straight days of Hanukkah giveaways. Yay! Happy Hanukkah. Guys, serious, seriously. Like... All right, now Orville's in the box. Maybe it'll be quiet. He'll weigh it down. He's a very large animal. (laughs) As usual, I will have all of the books that we talk about in this episode, as well as some of Scarlett Cole's books, in the podcast show notes at smartbitches, slash podcast. And I will have links to some of the programs and options that we discuss as well, including rescue time, focus time, all of that sorts of things. If you are curious about all of this productivity as well, I love productivity. It's really fascinating as a topic. And now it's time for the terrible joke. It's terrible. It's terrible. It's so bad. I love it. And after the music, stay tuned for a great outtake. (laughs) It's a really good outtake. Thanks, cats. (laughs) I had to do this outro like three times because they keep dive bombing each other. I could just put the box outside, but it's much more fun to just let them have a good time. I'm a pretty lackadaisical podcasting pet owner, I know. And now it is time for the terrible joke. Are you ready for this terrible joke? Okay. How come it's okay if your phone autocorrects fuck to duck? Give up. How come it's okay if your phone autocorrects fuck to duck? Well, you're still using foul language. <laughs> <laughs> foul language. <laughs> this is from Reddit user Jesus man for real. And <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> foul language. On behalf of all of the cats in this box that delights them to no end, and Scarlet Cole and myself, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a great weekend. And don't forget to stay to the end for your most excellent cat-induced outtake. I'm still laughing about that one. See you here next week. It's important to decide what your balls are made of, and it is important to give yourself permission to be sexful. Sexful. (laughs) Yes! Let the cats distract you and give yourself permission to be sexful. Wow! (laughs) Thanks, guys.